Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Presented by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live, this series is made possible by the fine folks at Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. Today we are talking with hip-hop artist Open Mike Eagle. Mike has a new album out called Anime, Trauma, and Divorce, and it's getting fantastic reviews saying how raw, honest, and insightful Mike is for taking a bold look at the emotional pain that he suffered in his life. And artists like Mike are so important at a time like this when so many people are experiencing physical, emotional, social, and financial pain, but may not know how to cope with it or express it. And that's our purpose on the Going There podcast, to provide a safe place where artists can talk about these difficult topics regarding mental health. And hopefully you, the listeners, will feel understood, heard, and validated. Through these tough conversations, we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, come out of the darkness, and get the care we need. And today, Mike talked with me about the very difficult issue of trauma. Now, one of the things that's important to understand in this conversation is that unfortunately, trauma can occur in someone's life through many pathways. Sometimes it's used to refer to a specific event, like a physical or a sexual assault, or an injury from a car crash or a plane crash. But other times, trauma can be based not on one incident, but a series of incidents. So for example, when people face racial discrimination, the discrimination doesn't necessarily manifest in one event, but rather a series of events over time. And so what Mike talks about is the mental scarring that can occur from trauma, as well as the various ways that trauma can affect our processing of information, our thought patterns, as well as our emotional and behavioral responses in our life. We also talk about how the stigma of mental illness can undermine our recovery from traumatic events and how we can challenge that stigma so that people who suffer from trauma can get the care they need. So let's go there and listen to what Mike has to say. So Mike, welcome to the Going There podcast. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, man. Sounds like a, a wonderful mission you guys are on. No, and I appreciate that. You know, consequences sound, sound mind live, put this together. Um, you know, really, really a great thing. I felt very, very grateful to be included in it. Um, and also, you know, just in terms of seeing some of the advocacy work that you've done stepping up and talking about uh, some of the things you've been thinking about in terms of mental health. You know, I thought maybe we would just start with, um, you know, on your, on your most recent album, you know, there's been a lot written about how it was talking about mental health issues. And I thought we would just start there um, with this topic. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the, the wild thing about it is, is, is an album about me working through some stuff and it's really personal um, in terms of uh, relative to the rest of my catalog. Um, and so, you know, I was going through some, some family change stuff 
and and a therapy journey that's taken me through a lot of like trauma stuff um, and learning about how that stuff can affect you and learning how that's been present in my life and informed um, some of the way things have unfolded for me. Um, so the album is dark and heavy at some points, uh, especially compared to some of my earlier work. Um, and it ends up kind of resonating with people right now because we're all kind of living through a trauma at once of having, um, you know, having the economy taken away, a lot of people losing their jobs, a lot of people aren't able to pay for um, housing, um, you know, and then there's the the disease itself, which is affecting a lot of people and has, has taken a lot of lives and, um, you know, and then you add to that you know, the racial injustice stuff that we were, we've been seeing and people have been, um, a lot of people have been woken up to that. And so these are kind of heavy times. And so my album, although it was personal and most of it was written in 2019, ended up resonating with people this year because of, um, you know, I, I think trauma is the main link. I think that that's the thing that uh, connects the stuff I was talking about to the stuff that we're living through right now. You know, and, and one of the things that's interesting about the use of the term trauma is that most people, when they think about that term, think about very specific things that might constitute trauma. And one of the things that's just important to say is that, you know, anything that is so stressful that it then causes a traumatic reaction, which is anything from intrusive thoughts to being, you know, keyed up regularly because you're afraid of something happening to nightmares can be something that winds up constituting uh, a difficult traumatic reaction. And I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, like when you're talking about the trauma, you know, if you feel comfortable, like how, how do those different traumas wind up manifesting in you physically, emotionally, spiritually? Uh, with my stuff, uh, it's a lot of childhood stuff and me being put in situations where, um, you know, that, your, your, your body takes that fight or flight kind of stance and, 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 um, and a lot of senses that stuff can get trapped in you and it can, especially in, in children, it can affect the brain development. Um, if, if the body feels like it's in danger because the mind feels like it's in danger, um, and a lot of times we work on our minds to try to use logic and overcome uh, the overwhelming emotions that comes with stuff. But a lot of times with trauma, it stays in our body until we actively do something about it. So that's, you know, a lot of times why people can be gravitated to stuff like yoga, um, exercise, um, you know, um, sound baths, like all that kind of stuff, massages, like all that stuff, like really um, it lets the body kind of process these things. Like, cause you know, they've done studies about um, animals who've been traumatized, like, uh, like, like a, you know, like they'll have a tag deer that almost gets hit by a car. It doesn't, it survives, not even injured, but then it dies a week later because its body never able is never able to let go of that fear of that moment. Um, and it, the way these things stick with us, it just becomes a lot more than the event itself. And, um, 
you know, from from my journey, it's, it, it showed me that the path to health for me is about um, finding approaches that deal with not only the mental, but the physical as well. And I think that one of the things that you're talking about that's so important is that, you know, trauma, it does manifest physically. And, and I think that one of the important things is to also say is that trauma, it, it affects us differently, different people in different ways. And I think that one of the most difficult things that people will experience sometimes is whether it's themselves or other people kind of telling them like, oh, you should get over that or you should move past that. Maybe before we're ready. Mm -hmm. And, and we collude a little bit with that sometimes because nobody wants to feel traumatized. You know, we want to get better. And, you know, we, but it's so important, I think, for what you're saying to kind of recognize just how deep of an issue trauma can be before you even think about, well, now how am I going to move past this? Right. Because I think rationally, we look at the situation we're in now and like, but wait, I'm safe now things are fine. Whatever the traumatizing event was, is no longer a part of my life. So I should be fine. Right. And you try to lean into that, but that doesn't fully address uh, the physiological result of what has happened. If you have been traumatized. And I think the other thing that some people have trouble grasping is that with, with some anxiety and traumatic reactions are broadly speaking, you know, part of the family of, of anxiety disorders, you don't necessarily have to have the event occurring or even think that it's occurring again. It's knowing what your body was capable of feeling that can be mm -hmm. so scary. So as an example, when, when you have panic disorder, and a lot of times there are people who part of their traumatic reaction is panic. You could only have a panic disorder once in your life, but you could spend the rest of your life being afraid of panic and then therefore not going into situations and you have panic disorder, you know, because you're right. so afraid of what your body felt like in that one circumstance mm -hmm. that it, it no longer is necessarily about the event itself. It's also about, well, I know that my mind and my body could go there. Yeah, it's the anxiety around being in that situation again, which in many cases can be, uh, I, I won't say just as, as, as lethal, but certainly can have a, a really awful effect on the mind and the body. Like you said, when you can very clearly remember how awful it felt to lose control. Yeah. And, you know, you have talked about in, well, actually, I don't know if it's that you talked about, but I think people talking about your album have talked about the concept of mental scarring as, as a concept. And I'm kind of curious if you're, again, I don't, I don't recall whether or not that was your term or if that was a term that was described uh, in a review of your, of your album. But does that, does that term resonate for you at all in terms of how you think about trauma? Yeah, I think that to me feels correct. Um, I think the part that I end up digging more into just in terms of my personal interest I feel like I'd call that more emotional scarring than mental because for me, the journey has been about having feelings that are trapped in a moment, just like that feeling, just like the physical feeling is trapped in that moment. My actual emotional processing can be trapped in that moment too. For me, the journey has been trying to find uh, ways to get that processing happening again because if I don't, then in some ways, 
uh, I'm trapped in the age I was when things took place. So when you talk about emotional processing as compared to mental processing, that, that's a very interesting concept. And I think it would be helpful for a lot of people just to hear your, your insights on, on what you see as that differential. Because for me, when I think about mental scarring, I feel like that is something that addresses our thoughts or our perspective, things that can be affected by logic and reason. When I think about emotional scarring, I think about how hard it can be to move forward when you don't feel like you have agency over your feelings. And that, in my experience, is, is a result of trauma. Certain situations lead me to feeling as if I don't have um, a responsible amount of agency when it comes to my emotions. Um, and the, the only thing that's been able to counteract that is like specific trauma therapy. It's interesting that you're talking about that because one of the things that we just take for granted is how much we rely on the presumption of control of our emotions when we go into any circumstance, you know, so even something as, as mundane as, you know, getting on a subway or a train all the way up to like trying to get closer to someone in a more intimate way, all relies on us being able to tolerate a certain amount of emotional distress or discomfort as we pursue whatever it is that we want to do. And, and I, I think that that idea that in the back of our head or sometimes even in the front of our head that we may not be able to control our reaction, that changes the context of everything in terms of how we approach our life. And, and I think it has a, an outsized effect on one's decision-making too, where logically and rationally, you may feel like you want one thing, but in certain situations, when certain stimuli is present, depending on what your particular journey has been, you may make choices that don't reflect what you want logically and rationally. You might make fear-based choices. You might make anxiety-based choices. And those can stack up over a lifetime. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that's, that's so tough is that sometimes, especially if it's, if it's a trauma that you maybe weren't necessarily paying attention to, right? You could all of a sudden, I mean, we're not talking about a long time. If you pick up on the fact that you're struggling with something in terms of stress or trauma or anxiety within a month or so, that's like not bad time-wise, you know, to sort of be like, right. hey, something's a little bit off. But in that month, I mean, you could do a lot of damage to your relationships, to your workplace, to your social situation without ever even having a chance. And that's why it can be so dangerous sometimes when you feel like you struggle with a mental health problem, because before you even know it, it's something that's really causing very tangible issues in your life. Yeah, I mean, specifically trauma has been shown to very easily lead to addiction. A lot of the anxiety that gets trapped in the mind and the body can feel relieved by the release of certain endorphins. And a lot of times the quick way to get those endorsements is to abuse substances. So people are often led from trauma directly into substance abuse and like you say it can happen really fast and then you look up and now you have two giant problems because you can have a substance abuse addiction issue and not even begin to be in a place to deal with the underlying trauma 
that led you there in the first place. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that, that's very disappointing often is when people start developing addiction, the assumption always is that this person is exclusively in a bad place or, or they were intentionally doing something that was harmful to themselves. And a lot of the times, at least what I find, is that the reason why people turn to substances when they have trauma is not necessarily just to numb what's happening, which is a part of it, but it's also because they think, oh, this is going to then help me get to work, be in a social situation, you know, maybe be creative. And so the intention is often, you know, uh, it, it's kind of like the intention is in the right direction a lot of the time because you're thinking like, oh, how do I get by to keep my life going? And then the addiction kind of sneaks up on you. But when people stigmatize addiction, they often don't give credit for the fact that, well, that was the original purpose of it. You know, I, I didn't start drinking because, oh, I, I, I'm in the mood to develop alcoholism today. Yeah, I think I think societally um, with the, you know, not even to mention the stigma that's been around addiction. I think the stigma that's been around mental health Um we can have problems and issues that are very apparent. And I think societally, we're generally expected to kind of like handle things on our own. We're expected to be able to be tough enough to push through whatever it is. When we do that, often it leads us to self-soothing, which can be great if you if you have an idea of, of, uh, of what you're actually dealing with and you have an idea of the spectrum of options. But oftentimes in our in our world, self-soothing ends up becoming self-medication um, and self-medication ends up, you know, uh, usually involves substances outside of ourselves. Um, and, and like you said, it's a lot of times it can be coming from a place of, of somebody doing something just to feel functional, just to be able to get up and keep pushing like, you know, our our, our world puts so much value on productivity that it's really easy to just feel like you've done a good job if you've been able to get over your BS long enough to, to get your work done for the day. And, um, and, and not, you, can, you can be put in a position where you don't realize how much of a disadvantage you're putting yourself in. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny you say it that way because you know, I, I, I practice, at least up until coronavirus, I practice in, in Manhattan and in New York City. And everything about... New York City, in terms of its culture, is designed to basically say how much of your well-being, how much of your mental health, how much of your physical and social health are you willing to give up in order to be successful in your life, whether it's your career or socially. It's like, are you willing to work 80 hours? Are you willing to go out drinking with clients? Are you willing to, you know, get no sleep? You know, and it's and I think that that's not just I, I see it very uh, very acutely with the population that I'll work with sometimes, but I think it's exactly what you're describing. And it's a societal phenomenon. I mean, our basic expectation is you get rewarded if you push past whatever it is that you're dealing with in order to just go another day. And it is a lonely and isolated or isolating activity. I think for the most part, it's so dangerous because it, it works in terms of those short-term rewards, it works if, it, you know, and this is not, of course, um, in every case, but in a lot of cases, the more time and energy you're willing to put into accomplishing 
a capitalistic goal, the more rewards you get from it. And it's really, uh, it's really hard for that not to feel like a win. And then you look back at months or years of your life where you haven't gotten sleep or you're addicted to coffee or Adderall or whatever it takes um, for people to focus and get stuff done. Well, and, and yeah, and it's, and the thing that's so tough about it is that it's usually up until the very, very, very last moment you get all this praise. I mean, I see it with eating disorders all the time. You know, you get people who, you know, maybe they want to lose some weight and, you know, they, they, they start kind of okay. And then they start getting some really unhealthy behaviors like over-exercising, extreme dieting, purging, and everybody tells them how great they're doing and how great they look and how amazing it is. And you must be doing so well up until that very moment where all of a sudden, right at the very end, people are like, oh, now all of a sudden you're, I, I see that you're doing something problematic. You know, it's the same thing with like the partying and the drinking. It's like, oh, you know, there's so much fun and they're like, they're, they're a part, you know, like I'm sure in the, in the entertainment world, you know, they're partying and they're having such a great time up until that very time where all of a sudden then you notice that, Oh, now they're having a couple of beers in the morning just to, just to stay, you know, mm-hmm. even they're, they're smoking pot all day. They're going on that cycle where they have caffeine in the morning Adderall during the day and smoke pot or drink at night just to keep them going. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden people are like, Oh, they've got a problem, but they didn't realize like you've been encouraging that problem all the way through without realizing it. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's just, um, it's easy to lose sight of, what it means to be in any sort of balance as an individual. And, you know, in the music world, it, it is it is especially tough. You know, you can, I, I found myself on tours where, um, you know, you get into that cycle, like you, you play a show late, um, you're, you're drinking, you're, you know, you're, you're hanging out and you're, you're, you're you know, you're, selling merch all night or you're going to an after party, whatever, you know, all these things that are part of it. And you wake up the next morning feeling terrible and you're in some travel situation, whether it's flying or driving where you're not comfortable, you're not like getting a great rest. Um, and you do the whole thing over again the next afternoon, starting with sound check. And, and it's like, you know, you can get into some really terrible cycles day after day after day after day you don't want a day off because if if you have a day off you're not making any money you're just out there spending money eating and you're still partying um you know and and there's not a lot of thought put into what the mechanisms are that allow us to keep keep those things going and what we kind of have to do to balance them out when we do get into those yeah and i i mean look i i see what you're saying i mean i'm i'm you know, I'm a middle-aged man with the family and whatever, and I, I, I've been working for a long time. But I'm I'm terrified when when my wife says like, "Oh, we should take a day off." I don't even think in terms right. of a day off. I think in terms of the money that I'm going to lose. You know, and 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 by the way, that's easy for me because I love what I do. So like the idea of working with a bunch of people in a clinical situation during the day is not. I, that's part of the other problem is like, I don't look at that as being like, oh man, I was like, I kind of, I love those days where I get to talk to people all day. But I'm even for me, I do this for a living and I can't get myself out of that. You know, I'm, I'm just now like trying to figure out a way to unwind that. And I, you know, I, for people like, especially now, like people are in an economically unsafe situation. And it's like, how do you, how do you maintain any kind of self-care in a situation like this? 
mean, uh, I've had a lot of issues around the idea of self-care um, in general, because I think that sometimes there's some there's some unspoken kind of classist and you know resource-based uh, disparity that doesn't really get talked about when people discuss what self-care is or isn't. I think um, you know I live in a black American ghetto, and I it means something different here. <laughs> you know what I mean? The idea of self-care means something different here than it does in um in, in other parts of this town. Um, and I think, you know, something something that you're making me think of too is just how easy it is for upset us to turn anything into an obsession. And even when something is healthy or something is productive and, and you're let's say you're being productive and it's not hurting anybody and it's helping you make money and and you really love it. But it's like, yeah, if it turns into an obsession, then you kind of have to take a step back and, and figure out a way to balance it. Like I've been uh, in my therapy journey as of late, I've been trying to uh, reclaim images and memory from childhood before trauma uh, to remind myself of what it felt like to just feel free um, and, and, and to indulge in that. But, and it feels great to do that, right? Like I'll get these old comic books I remember having, these old video games I remember having. I just bought a PC and put it together because I used to be into stuff like that when I was a kid. Um, but there's also this aspect of like consumerism in that, you know, where I'm, I'm, you know, spending a couple hours on eBay looking for specific issues of a magazine. It's like, well, I'm not sure if this is what I was really supposed to be doing, you know. And 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 there's the question of, okay, once I have all the magazines, then what? You know, once I have all the comics and I sat there and read them, then what? You know, there's there's just um. There's no easy answers to any of this is what I think I'm trying to get at. You know, a lot of times these are complicated problems and the solutions um, can also be a thing that you can lose yourself in. Yeah. And I think that one of the, the biggest problems, I think, for artists, and you could tell me if this feels right. You know, there's this there's this huge discrepancy in the literature on. And, you know, you, you did, I want to talk at some point about you did an actual study on, on the, the brain effects of freestyling, which I think is amazing. But almost every study that has ever been done on art therapy, music therapy, anything like that, anything creative shows that it has positive mental, physical effects. I mean, really, like with the like walking, eating vegetables, meditating and and being creative, you, you pretty much can do that as much as you want and, and it'll be OK. The thing is, though, is that it's so different than to move that into a professional context. Because oftentimes, oh God, in order to in order to do something, I mean, look, you're you're doing art. Um, you know, I'm sure people have seen your thing, but you know, your your name gets thrown around with some some pretty heavy, you know, names like Kendrick Lamar and stuff like that. If you are doing art on that level, that means that you are doing things in an entirely different way than everybody else. And that means that I think to some degree you have to get so deep into your art that who knows how you're going to come out of that. And, and that's a very, that's a very different thing. It's also very different to have these emotions and these things just busting out of you to the point where it's artistically relevant. You know, it's one thing to go in and be like, I'm living my life and then I'm going to go be artistic. Or I'm going to be creative. Like that's fantastic. But not when it's pouring out of you. And I think some of our best artists, not only is it pouring out of them, but they chase it. And we encourage them to chase it because we, we, we can't. 
that's a very tough situation to be in, at least from my perspective. That makes me think of Kanye. And I remember, I remember it just like as a fan and as a black man being worried about him when I can't remember which album it was. I think it was Jesus. It came out in like 20, ah, I think like the 2014 album or something like that, where I think the whole marketing of it was he was doing these projections of himself and his his stuff, his 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 films that he made like on the sides of these giant buildings. Um, and I, I remember being really worried about what it meant for somebody to become famous by really leaning into their ego all the time, like really leaning into the most uh, the most honest thoughts in 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 all um on all different levels of vibration like it, it seemed like the the more he leaned into that the more famous he became and i'm like how does that not turn a person into a monster when every every time it's about okay how do i how do i delve deeper into my ego more with every project and turn it into a giant spectacle um like that the level of attention and validation it comes with that and then you do the whole thing over again in two years it's just like wow i i, I remember being worried about where that leads on a mental health level yeah and i mean it it depends it's up to you how much you want to get into the concept of disparity but i you know i i hear what you're saying then as i think about a cycle of disparity and racism where it's like you create a context in which there are there are people who experience this these traumatic events in the form of systemic injustice or racism or whatever it, it, or disparities, and then to a certain extent, when there is art or creativity that is made from that, that then gets marketed in some ways like highlighting the very pain and suffering which was caused by that system. And, and it's like, I, I don't, I don't know what to, and I don't know what to think about that other than because I guess to a certain extent, well, it's, it's good that somebody has an artistic outlet and they have a professional outlet, but just from what you're saying, I'm thinking about that right now. And I'm like, oh man, something doesn't seem exactly right about it. I, you know, like this album that I just put out, I really made it for me and I made it in response to uh, my therapist kind of prompting me, reminding me that I do have an outlet. And I'd never really used it for processing my own feelings. And it felt really good to do. But as it came out, I started to feel really weird about that intention meeting the intention of marketing. Like that album being put through the process that any musical product gets put through. Um, you know, and in the interviews and all, it's, it's, it had me questioning that part a lot, like what it means for someone's genuine expression or genuine emotional development to be bottled up and sold. Um, and I'm, I'm, I come through the other side of it, not, not knowing if it's a good idea to do. Um, and I know that it can be helpful for people. I just don't know if we have a uh, any means of doing it safely. Yeah, and it's it's. I, I guess you know a couple of things that I'm thinking about is that I think it it would be 
that part would be wonderful if in fact then we took the stories and which i think i think does happen in some cases you know i think i think we're kind of hoping even with this conversation like th- this is part of the direction of this but if those stories and if those experiences then turn into social justice i think that that can feel like okay like here's a here's something of a virtuous cycle you know i think the part that becomes frustrating for me is if it goes into a situation where people are appreciating the music and this isn't judging anyone like you know you're you're allowed to judge music however you want and it's it's not everyone's not necessarily responsible for for tackling all of the world's problems per se but but on a systemic level it would be so nice to think that when we heard certain artists talk about their emotional pain talk about the struggles talk about the injustice they were seeing that then there was a mechanism by which it was like okay now let's go after the injustice i think i think that's one level but i think even a step before that might be some some intentional dialogue happening about unpacking those things and not just uh you know random threads that pop up on twitter but some sort of sanctioned forum where these things can be untangled and discussed and mined and and processed um i feel like a lot of that is missing too um because you know i i just I, like i said i come away from from having put out this this album and um something felt gross about it at a couple points you know like when i'm i'm looking at Spotify numbers and how many times the tracks have been played. And I'm looking at, you know, statements from my distributor for how many, you know, albums we sold and how much money I could be making. And, you know, I have a t-shirt for the album and a vinyl for the album. And it's like, yeah, it's great that I, like, you know, especially me as an independent artist, like it's really great that um, I have people willing to engage with my art that way, like in, in, with the economics of that, it's great. But I'm not certain if that makes sense for a pro- for for a project that is about me confronting mental health issues. I'm not I'm not certain if the if the normal manner of putting out music as product is a safe way to do it for this other sort of endeavor. It's it's an it's an interesting question and I you know for me, on my, my knee-jerk reaction is that the, the issue is, you know, you should be able to put out what's in your heart and what feels like your creative outlet. And, you know, I, I, depending on people's thoughts, I'd like, I feel like you should be able to earn a living off of that if that's, if that's what's in the market. So to me, on, as an outsider, I, I don't, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I kind of feel like that it's it's it that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the issue you should have a safe space to do that it's it's the question of then what what do what do what does the world do with that product i think it this gets right to me like getting back to like you know krs ones like edutainment you know because that that to me seems like the core thing that you're describing is like you know even getting back to this idea of engaging the body you know, my, my experience of, of certain kinds of music, and I think hip hop and hip hop culture is definitely one of them is that is the idea of it, it, it kind of activates you on a physical level, on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, 
so that now you're in touch with things that you can maybe talk about a little bit. Um, you know, so for, from where I'm sitting, what you're doing is something that I feel like you should be able to do for yourself, but also I feel like it's a huge service to the world. I sort of feel like it's a question I, of like, well, what do we do afterwards? You know, I, I, I understand. I, I, I'm hearing, I'm hearing you, but I think the problem is that yes, I should be able to do that, but there's nothing in place to make sure that that can happen without it doing damage to me. Yeah. Like there's, there's no guardrails. There's no, you know, there's, there's like, I, if I put out a project, like, especially cause I'm an independent artist, right? If I put out a project, I need to give it to PR people so they can send it out to writers so it can get reviewed. And so then how responsible am I for reading reviews, disseminating reviews, promoting them, like that, like that level of engagement, like, like these are real things that have to happen for a musical product to be successful when there's not a ton of just straight marketing money. Um, and there's nothing in place to stop me from reading that review and reading something about like, a, not, a, not a project that I made to talk to the world about an issue necessarily, a project I made to explore some of the darkest and heaviest parts of me, you know, uh, and, and that's, where there's no safety nets, it gets a little dangerous, I feel like. Yeah, and I, I think that's, I mean, that for me is why when, when somebody like yourself now steps up and talks about that, I mean, that's, that's something that I feel like, you know, nobody's really like paying attention to, you know, everyone's like, you, you have an album and it's amazing. And it's like, oh, okay, woo, you know, and I, I, you know, like you said, it's like, nobody's, nobody's taking care of you in that circumstance. And I, I hear, I hear what you're saying is that there, yeah, there's this part that's internal. At least I, I hope I'm hearing what you're saying. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll to take it a step further because I'm just talking about my experience making something that I feel like I'm a little sensitive about. I even think about really big artists who make music that maybe is not the most sensitive, but they're still human beings and are being put in a situation where people are reacting to them with all sorts of vitriol about what they do like constantly and i'm wondering who is helping them you know if i'm if i'm Nicki minaj and i have a, a a million people who love me and a million people who hate me for no reason every time i step out of the house or make a decision like who is who is the support system there because it feels like there needs to be one yeah, no, and I, I think you're right. I mean, it's this very odd, really, I mean, Nicki, Nicki Minaj is a great example. You know, it's like, it's, and I think the, you know, we're talking about like the stigma of mental illness and it's like, look at how we treat our artists. Look at, look at the, look at how abusive the fundamental issue is, right? It's like, it's like, you know, we love you. I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like being an abusive parent, you know, or like a narcissist, right. you know, like a parent who's like kind of, doing this only for their own benefit. It's like, I love you when you're making me proud. I love you when you're doing things that I think are cool. Mm. And then the minute you step out of line based on my idea of what out of line is, and we go right after you, you know? So, so it's like with the Nicki Minaj thing, like if you're, if you're doing something that's, that's just enough sexy, it's okay. If it's over what we think is over the border so that now we think that this is obscene. Now, now we go after you. It's like, Man, that's that's not a supportive relationship. And these days, in the era that we're living in, like there was a time when you know fans would react 
by just not buying something. And, and sure, that could be deflating and uh, disappointing. But now you can go on your phone and write something directly at her uh, that of course she has no obligation to read, but of course some of that stuff gets through. And people say the worst things to you all day long. And um, I, I just, I'm often fascinated by the thought of how people filter that stuff out and how they're able to move forward. When at any time, like you're already living this kind of sensitive existence as an artist, when that one comment gets through, like you check your phone just this one, just this one time, I'll look and the first comment is something terrible. Like, what does that do for your day? What does that do for, you know, I, I, I'm just, I've always been really curious about that and really worried about what that existence is like. And it gets right back into this concept of being isolated that you were talking about before, you know, is that all of a sudden everybody's cheering, but you know, like I, I'm, a, I mean, look, I've, for me, Nicki Minaj began and end with, with her lyrics on monster. Like I, that was mm -hmm. it. I remember the first time I heard that and being like, Oh my God. I was like, yeah. this is just, this is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. It still is one of the greatest things. I've it ever is heard. It's fantastic. So I kind of feel like we're, we're, we're done. Like you've done, you've done, you've done enough for me, like the, for, for the rest of my life. But, you know, watching like, you know, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buying the albums, whatever. And it's like you said, like, who's there for her when she gets that comment? How, how could anyone be there for her? She has to deal with that alone. And, and, and hopefully she has, or any artist has some kind of support but no one's checking up on that. Right. No one's like making sure that that's okay. And, and, and that's, and, a, and that's no, weird. And I don't, and, and, and more than that, I don't think us as consumers and, and, you know, I must speak for myself in the consumer side too, even though I'm, I'm, I'm also a creator. Um, I don't think we hold each other accountable enough either for, for what kind of damage trolling can do because we don't know like everybody thinks it's it's innocent or everybody tries to be dismissive of it but it's i don't know i mean I, we don't know we don't know what it, what it means to be in this generation of celebrities and and what it's going to mean for them to having to for having had to deal with that for a lifetime and but you know in a way though I think the thing is we, we, we do on some level because, you know, you're talking like, I have kids, you have kids. Like, I know what it's like if, if one of my kids gets a nasty message, I know how that I, I can, I could ruminate about that all day. You know, something happens to my kids. And so I guess the question that I, you know, it asked me is like, what makes you think that a, an artist is any different? You know, like what makes you think that the processes of, of bullying and trolling and and being critical and harsh and shameful is going to affect an artist any different than it would affect your kid. And then I think when you look at it from those terms, it's like, yeah, how does how do, how do any prom how does any prominent artist handle that? Because any one of those things, if they got sent to our kid, we would just be we'd be out of our minds. It's just uh, you know, I, I think that we as a society, and I don't know how it is in other countries, but I feel like in America we tend to we we pick empathy last. Um, especially if somebody has a different station than us, um, class or wealth wise, we tend to not choose to identify with them on a human level first. Um, 
And I think, you know, a lot of the issues that we deal with in society kind of come from that. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a same, a, a similar uh, phenomenon when a black person gets murdered by the police and there's a lot of people in the world who their first thought is what did that person do? Rather than thinking about a parent having lost a child um, for a pack of gum or whatever it was, you know? Um, so, you know, that I think that the distance between us and empathy in a lot of senses kind of creates this space for us to feel differently about Nicki Minaj receiving a comment than we would our children. And I think that the empathy, it, it's such a core. And, it, and I think you're right because you look on a societal level right now. I think what you said is exactly right. It's like, what is that that makes it so that if, if our experience isn't exactly like somebody else's, we don't at least try to imagine like, okay, like, what would I feel like if that happened to me? You know, what could I imagine? I mean, even, even if you don't really know, just the, the, the part of starting with, again, that empathy, that, that human connection and how easily it all of a sudden can go really, really awry if we don't, if we don't start there. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and that's just a kind of, that's a, that problem in society is something I ponder a lot. Like how how do we get towards a more automated kind of empathy rather than all the things that stand between us and empathy? Yeah, and I, I, I you know, God, I wish I had, I wish I had an answer for that. You know, and it, it may just you know, like with a lot of things with mental health, it does come down to these like basic sometimes these basic techniques. You know, as an example, like I I know. There was a time in my life where I started noticing I was getting more, I don't know if it was depressed. It felt depression. I don't know if it was, to be honest. All I know was that I wasn't moving very well in the mornings. Mm. Like I felt like, you know, like for me, like I know when I'm not feeling well, either physically or emotionally, like if the sun hurts, that's when I know mm. that something's, something's going on. Something's you know, wrong. usually when the sun comes out, I'm like, oh yeah. And then oh, if I come out, I'm like, oh, it's like, that's when I know something's up. I just got into the habit of like, I figured out that exercising, I'd have to exercise three times a day. And somehow three days later, I was better, whatever the issue was. I don't, I don't, it took me a long time to figure out that that was the thing for me, but you just had I to think, get something moving. Yeah. I just had to, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, and it just, yeah, I just, it like, it had to, it's, I think it was like you were saying on that physical level, it had to, it had to get out of me, whatever it was. But I feel like that's a, that's not a, a particularly it's a simple but not easy technique and i feel like right. when it comes to empathy i think this thing that you're saying is a great idea and i think it's a really important concept i kind of want to i want to follow up and talk with you about it some more <laughs> but you know but i think it's like this i i have a feeling it comes down to these like basic simple little maneuvers you know just stopping for a second and asking like let me before i say anything to this person let me just imagine what it must be like that one little thing could be the difference between you automatically tearing into them without any empathy, without any consideration, or at least tempering what you're saying to maybe, maybe be curious rather than critical. You know, just yeah. to ask the question of like, hey, like you seem upset, what's going on? Instead of like, what's going on? You know, right. those, are, those are different questions. And I, and I, you know, I feel as if the scale that that, would, that, that sort of education would have to happen on you know, it, it would have to be in our schools. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it'd have to start in like first and second grade with it, with some, some, I don't even know where you put it, but that 
having any sort of value on that sort of humanism uh, would have to kind of start really early, I think. No, I, I agree. And and look, I, I'm not, I hope no one misunderstands. Like, I, I don't think I do, you know, I, I do this for a living. Like I'm supposed to, as a clinical psychologist, and it's always funny when anyone thinks that clinical psychologists or mental health workers like have this all figured out in their personal life. I always find that amusing, but you know, I've been doing this for, for decades and I still, you know, when, when like, you know, something happens, my first reaction, because it's, I feel threat, you know, I do with parenting. Like if something's happening with my kids, my first concern is, Oh my God, something's happening with my kids, you know? And what I, I really need to do in those situations is take a step back, take a calm, start asking questions. You know, I would, and, and, I don't mm-hmm. gather information and you're right. I think it has to start happening in homes that start happening in schools, but I feel like what you're saying, like if it caught on, I think it would, I mean, think about how many, how many problems we could avert right. with that. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's one of the keys, you know, is if we can start to see people in that kind of human first and, and that's not to say that we need to be, you know, multicultural, colorblind, any of that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I just, just like the things that do, the things that do join us, the things that we do have in common. Um, I think we just need to be able to access those things emotionally uh, in, in ways that we seem to be resistant to. Yeah. It, and it would, and I, I agree. I don't, I don't, you know, the humanism, if you will, the empathy would naturally lead into more of an understanding of multiculturalism, if you will, because mm-hmm. it would inherently ask questions about things that you don't necessarily understand yourself. Right. You know, and I, I'll give you a perfect example. Like I, you know, I've always enjoyed a what I consider to be a very nice relationship with law enforcement. Um, I've been pulled over. I've been, you know, and I've always found that people in law enforcement were courteous to me and were kind. And I felt like, oh, if I, if I ran this up the, the chain of command, that there would be a system in place that would be, would be fair and would, would protect me. And over the last few years, I, my wife is Muslim. And with this recent administration, I all of a sudden started to see things in a little bit of a different way. Hmm. where I started to be concerned, like, well, what if like, I didn't have protection up at the top, you know, like, what if I did, like, what if I didn't have a system in place that I would guarantee would be, would be fair to my family and my kids. I think what a lot of people are seeing now in, in even more than they've seen in the past, not because it's happening more, but because it's, it's, it's people are more aware of is like, Oh, like this, this privilege that I've enjoyed my whole life, I just got like a little bit of a glimmer mm. into what it would be like a little tiny. I mean, that's just such a small little glimmer. And now I, I, I kind of am aware of the fact of like, I have no idea of what somebody who doesn't enjoy that privilege would be going through. None. I, I shouldn't even begin a conversation without starting with asking like, okay, this is where I'm coming from, but where are you coming from? Mm-hmm. You know? And it, and it really is. I mean, I think the key to is that listening and that's, you know, with, with, uh, the difference between, you know, the disparities between racial privilege, gender privilege, anything, you know, ableist privilege. I think it just, like you say, it just really all starts with being able to actually hear what somebody's experience is like. So Mike, any, any, it's been great talking with you. Any last thoughts? 
you know, I just, I, I, I do, I love talking about this stuff because I, I think about people a lot. I have a, a background in psychology too. Um, I had a bachelor's in psych and um, that was supposed to be my, I was going to go the counseling psych route and ended up, you know, doing music instead. But I, I, I just think so deeply about how it is we treat each other uh, and how we think about each other. And um, I don't know. So like, it's, it's, it's always good to be able to talk about this stuff. Cause I, I don't have a lot of uh, outlets for this sort of conversation in my current world. Listen, I'll, I'll just say, uh, I mean, the music is working out really well for you, but if, if you ever, if you ever want to come uh, to this side uh, of, of the table, definitely let me know. Cause I, I think you have some great ideas. I mean, look, you're already starting with something that so many of us miss, which is the empathy and the human part. Um, I, I, I think you'd have a great future in this. Well, you know, well, brother, I'm, I'm, I'm turning 40 this Saturday. So the rap clock is ticking. I might, I might be taking a good look over there. <laughs> All right. Well, if I could help in any way, definitely uh, let me know. But listen, until then, uh, honestly, great talking with you. You have a lot to think about. And, you know, stepping up and talking about these difficult issues is, is just so helpful to people to be able to hear, get them thinking. And, uh, you know, I hope we get a chance to talk again at some point. But until then, you know, listen, best of luck with everything wonderful that's happening with you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. So there it is. Open Mike Eagle talking about his experience understanding and coping with trauma. Now, one of the things that I took away from the conversation with Mike was the contrast between how difficult it can be to find emotional well-being in our society with how easy it can be to develop mental illness. It almost feels like a rigged game. We live in a world in which so many people face discrimination. There is documented, scientifically verified discrimination in our society across a range of factors, including race, sex, and religion. And this discrimination can manifest in disparities in health, education, housing, and criminal justice in ways that can be incredibly damaging to health and well-being. And to exacerbate the situation, there's a stigma of mental illness. So if you experience trauma or other forms of emotional distress as a result of this discrimination, that stigma then also condemns you for struggling with your mental health and discourages you from getting the help you need. On top of all of that, we live in a society that seems to reward people for sacrificing mental and physical health for work. To get ahead, or just to stay above water, we may need to work 50, 60, 70, 100 hours a week, sacrificing everything, our sleep, healthy eating, exercise, and our social life for our work. So we have this confluence of factors. People experiencing discrimination, being discouraged from seeking help, and then having to forego taking care of themselves for their livelihoods. And then we wonder why there's a mental health crisis. And Mike was totally right when he said that we need empathy to short-circuit every stage of that vicious cycle. Now, creating a more empathic society is a tall order for sure. But one way we can start is by at least being empathic with ourselves. Before we jump to judge ourselves for our feelings or behaviors, we can ask ourselves, why do we feel a certain way? Why are we engaging in a particular behavior? And we can give ourselves permission to take care of our mental health, get sleep, eat healthy, exercise, and yes, seek out treatment if we need. And if we can learn to be empathic towards ourselves, then maybe we can start doing the same with others, being curious about how someone's doing rather than just judging or criticizing them. That's how we start the monumental task of building a culture based on empathy and understanding rather than stigma and judgment. 
I want to thank the Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project, which is sponsored by Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at The Crossroads. Consequence Podcast Network.